Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to the Risen Nation Church podcast. I pray that this message today impact your life and above all, draw you into a deeper encounter with Jesus. But can you guys open your Bibles to Genesis 11? Thank you, Ashley. We're gonna, we're gonna cry out and worship again, probably at the end. But I haven't been here in, uh, well, I haven't preached for three weeks, but I haven't, I'm just gonna throw up on you guys today. That's all right. Is that fine? All right. Um, I heard Pastor Cossie's messages and he's such a shepherd and very encouraging. So I figure you got encouraged last week, so you should get disrupted this week. All right, that's just kind of who I am. If you're new here, um, all the complaint emails are about me and then they always add in there, but we love Pastor Costi. And, and I'm like, I love that. I love it. Amen. It's like good cop, bad cop. It's what we're going after. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it's so funny. It happened literally, I think the same week. Someone was really mad at me because I said something offensive or something. And they were like, but Pastor Costi's message two weeks ago. I love it. I love that I have an older brother that we're not actually in a competition, but preferring one another. And I pray that he go way beyond anything I could ever imagine. Amen. Okay. Um, for, for two weeks, I, I had a lot of time. Oh, man. I had a lot of time with the Lord uh, the past couple weeks, and it's good. I needed it, you know? Shakes everything up. But I kept hearing these words, and I want you to write it down. I kept hearing these words, don't settle. Don't settle. And he led me to Genesis 11. And I want you to see something here. And then we're going to go to Zephaniah. We're going to go to some intense books, all right? Anyone ever read Zephaniah? It's only three chapters. It's phenomenal. It's scary, but it's phenomenal. Uh, but Genesis 11, let's start. Are you guys there? Let's go to verse 27. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, or Abraham, before his name was changed. So this is the dad of Abraham, okay? Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, before her name was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milkiah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milkiah and Isaiah. We'll go with that. Now, Sarah was barren. She had no child. Verse 31, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. Now stop. How many of you know Canaan was the promised land? This was the land that was promised to Abraham. There's something that I want you guys to see here that I think we miss is that it was already in the heart of his father. This to go to this land was something that God put in the heart of Terah. This was something that before Abraham ever received this promise, it was actually... Uh, given to a generation in a sense before because they were on their way there, right? And so he's, he's heading to Canaan, but they came to Haran. Now, Haran was the name of his son that died. Haran is also the name of this city, and it says that they settled there. Everyone underlined they settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah, underline this part too, Terah, this is Abraham's father, died in Haran. So I want you to, I want you to see what, what it's saying. Terah is on his way to promise. Now imagine dad, Terah, gets to Canaan, and now Abraham hears, your father listened and obeyed. And because of your father, you're already in the land and you're receiving an inheritance of something that was plowed for you. And so the question is, is could it have saved time? Now, I know that the Lord is sovereign. I know that God has a plan, but I also know this way about God that God has, uh, anyone ever heard the Reinhard Bonnke story where God told him you weren't my first choice? You never just thought about that. And how it like lined up when Reinhard Bonnke did his first gathering, like 
the original kind of evangelist to that nation had ended his ministry or when God had spoke to him was like the same year that that, that man had left his ministry in Africa. And God said, you weren't my first choice. There's this, there's this thing about God that his will will be accomplished, right? It'll be accomplished. But there's this thing about us before we submit our wills to God called free will of man. And so God comes to you and he offers you this choice and you have a choice, right? And you can choose to be obedient or disobedient. And if you're disobedient, you're not powerful enough to mess with his plan. So he'll just find someone else, right? He'll just go from you to another and God will go from one generation to another generation and he'll look for them. Like the the promise was to the children of Israel is you're gonna get to the promised land, but their own disobedience walked them in a circle. So God had to go to the 20 year olds, right? And so I actually believe God's first choice would have just been they be obedient, right? They actually just get there. So Terah was on his way to promise, but he can't get over the past. He can't get over the fact that Haran died. So he literally found a city called Haran so he could settle in his past. So he could settle in what was, and then he died in what was. And so now he's got to come to the next generation. And it's like, hey, your father was on his way, but he couldn't get over what was. So he died there. Are you going to go? And I think if Abraham was disobedient, he would have just gone to the next one. And he'll go to the next one and God's will will be done. This is why it says in the book of Acts about David that David fulfilled, I would say fulfilled, all the will of God in his generation, which the implication is, is you cannot fulfill it, right? And, and so again, my, my goal today with what's happening in the world, what I saw happen at Asbury and, and we'll get into that in, in a minute, It's not just Gen Z. All I keep hearing about is Gen Z. God bless you, Gen Z. But I'm meeting like 80-year-olds that are like, I am so sick of the system. James, you're not 80. (laughs) James is like. So sick of the system. People that have been in church for 20 years coming up to us in Chicago, weeping, Weeping, going, this is what we have longed for, right? And so we're so focused on the expression. This is what I went to Kansas City. I'm like, Mike Bickle, tell me the expression. Tell me it right now. This thing you prophesied of the expression of the church will change. He said, stop worrying about the expression. Find your message. And a whole group of people will gather to a message that is saying, we got to start bringing oil into church, right? And so I'm finding people all over the planet, not just in Dallas. It's not just in Keller. We are not elite, I promise. We're not special in any way whatsoever. It's, they're everywhere. They just, we just need to give them a place to go to. That's our job, build houses of habitation that not just Gen Z can run into, but the 80-year-olds can be like, finally, right? Okay, now I'm not being critical of the church, but you know, it's just, as you're watching what's happening, We need wineskins. We need churches that become wineskins of revival. Revival for too long has been an announcement to exit the church. I'm not getting it here, so I'm gonna go to a campus. I'm not not getting it here, so I'm gonna go to a field. I'm not getting it here, so I'm gonna go to a conference. And we need the world to be running through the doors because their car started shaking when they drove by. So so we need wineskins. And we're seeing people, old people, Let's call more seasoned. <laughs> Amen. And I'm realizing our call, Pastor Jenny sent me this thing as well. Like as much as our call is to young people, we need fathers and mothers that don't stop short. Fathers and mothers that, that their life is going, I'm going to give an inheritance to my children. Everything about their life is I won't stop. I'm not gonna stop in all of my my past religion and past theology and past doctrine. You see, this was always the problem with the children of Israel. Remember when they were getting bit by snakes and dying? 
And the Lord comes to Moses and says, put the, put the serpent on the bronze staff and, and when you raise it up on the pole, I will heal them. When they look upon it, and it's a type and shadow of Christ, we know that he will be like, he will be upon the pole in a sense and, and we'll look to him and he will heal us, right? But, they, but they, they get healed and because it happened, they start worshiping what happened and they created an idol out of what God did. And for 750 years, these people had a problem. Faithful with what they thought, but a problem. For 750 years, not till King Hezekiah shows up on the scene, 750 years later, that would be like the, that would be like 1200, right? Am I doing my math right? Close enough. That's what Tanner said. I'm very bad at math. Somewhere in that range, Now imagine something happens in 1200 that the Lord did and all people are still doing is talking about what happened in 1200 and worshiping what happened in 1200. Hezekiah sees this thing and he goes in and he starts smashing it into pieces. Smashing it into pieces. Because we get caught up, not just in the bad things of what was, but we had an encounter 34 years ago and it's the only encounter we ever had and it's all we talk about. We, we, all we talk about is, I, I went to Brownsville. Did you stay in revival? What happened after Brownsville? What happened when you went to church? What happened when you started that church after Brownsville? Did it feel like Brownsville? Did it increase from Brownsville? Or do you just talk about Brownsville because it gives you uh, credibility? Well, I came out of Brownsville. What does that mean? Okay, anyway. Hey, remember, you guys are the, I'm, we're doing this together today, okay, to the world, the church. I'm not talking to you at all. I came into worship today. I said, these people are crazy, and I love it. Amen? But this, this is what I believe God is saying in this hour, that as he gives us the opportunity to turn these cameras on, we will herald, and we will go after, we will pursue. So now go to Zephaniah 1. I'll give you 20 minutes to get there. It's after Habakkuk. If you hit Matthew, you went too far, go left. And so the reason I landed in Zephaniah, I was actually, I received a word. Um, I received a word when we were in, in Tennessee uh, it was so cool. At the end of the gathering we had, we had leaders come around us uh, that were from the city. And they were like, we want you to know we welcome this message in the city. Like, I've never experienced anything like this. And they said, we want this here and we need this here. One of the leaders said, all I keep seeing is ask for rain in the time of the latter rain. Anyone ever read that in Zechariah 10? Not Zephaniah, but Zechariah 10. So I was on my way to Zechariah because I had been hearing that in my spirit. Then this leader says that about asking God for rain. And, the, and here's what it means is what I love about the prophet Zechariah is this guy was intense. This guy had angels talking to him. And while one angel's talking to him, the Lord's telling another angel, go and tell him and run. Because there was something about him that when he heard it, he did it. And he had a lot of questions. He was like the person in church that asks all the questions. Every time you do a Q&A and you're like, ah. Oh. <laughs> Revelation, it starts with questions. It's okay to ask questions. It's good to go before God and say, I need to understand. Right? People perish for a lack of knowledge. But this, this prophet was an intense dude. And, and it was so intense that heaven had to keep up with him. So God would say, hey, an angel's talking to him right now, give him instruction. So he sends another angel and he says, run and tell him because he knows this guy's about to take off with what this one's saying. I want to be that way. I want to be that way where they're like, listen, this guy doesn't wait around. If he hears it, he moves on it. So you better run, angel Gabriel or whoever it was, right? So Zechariah has this thing about him while he's seeing the brokenness of Jerusalem at this time. And he looks around and, he's, and, and, it's, and at this time it would have been starting to be rebuilt, all this stuff. And he looks around and he says, ask 
for rain in the time of the latter rain. Here's, here's what it is. Here's the implication is while you're still in the former thing, while you're stuck in the former rains, you gotta ask God for new rain. Here's what it looks like. You don't sit back and settle because Asbury is happening and you're watching it on TV. You don't just, you know, like we had, we had a move of God, a true, genuine outpouring of the Holy Spirit happened in June that lasted for about three or four months. And, that, and then right after that, I'm thinking to myself, please, Lord, don't leave. Just being honest and genuine and real. But it's in those moments that you're so tempted to sit back and say, he's here and we accomplished something. No, no, no. The, the minute you leave, you're understanding that you have a need the minute you leave that place of like, you get too full by all that God is doing. He's saying in those moments, when God is moving, you have to ask more than ever in those moments. It's you're looking at the clouds and you know it's about to storm and you're saying, we need rain. You're asking what the season is pregnant with. And this season in the church is pregnant with revival. You can feel it. People are curious. That's the only way I can describe it. As I'm going, I'm just people, there's just curiosity. Uh, what's happening? I want to know. I want to understand. Then just get smacked with the presence of God. So Zephaniah is this asking for rain. The reason I'm saying all that is I was going to really spend time in studying this ask for rain, and I was going to minister on it. And when I turned there, the Lord said, read Zephaniah. So again, I'm going to read the words of the Lord. So don't be offended at me. It's just be offended at Zephaniah. This is where I think we are. This is where I think we are. Again, not talking directly to you, talking to the church at large, okay? So verse seven, Zephaniah, did you guys make it there? Did you find your way? Okay. Verse seven, chapter one. Be silent before the Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. Now we, now stop. We hear a lot about consecrate yourselves. And, and I agree, I believe that. Like this is a promise in Joshua chapter three, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow will do wonders among you. But how many of you know it's real serious when God's like, now I'm gonna consecrate. It, it, the, the tone changes from, you don't have the ability to go any further. You've kind of come to the end of your biting your teeth and working hard to get God into a room. And you, you, you kind of come to this point where God's like, I'll take it from here. This is where I think we are in America is I'll, I'll, take, it, I'll take it from here. But, but when God's about to consecrate people, you better get ready. So then you get to verse 12. It says, at that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps. Now, listen, before you read on. Now I know, obviously, this is speaking of, like he's preparing a sacrifice. We know that that's Jesus Christ, amen? But the thing about the word of God, how, say it's living and it's, and it's active. So, the, so it, it didn't happen, although it did. It's also happening, right? It's, it's this constant, this is why you can't treat this like a history book. It's the only book in all the earth that requires the author to be present when you read it. Because it's alive, it's, it's living, it's continual. The word of God is not a history book, the word of God is happening. The spirit of prophecy, it's the testimony of Jesus. It's, he's coming again and again and again and again and he's gonna touch people again and heal people again and again and again. It's not miracles that just happened in Jerusalem. Every time we read about a miracle in the New Testament, the prophecy of, of his life is I'm gonna do it again. Right? And so I don't just think God, when he's saying, I'm going to consecrate my guests, that it's just this time in Jerusalem. But God, it's still happening. God is still looking for his remnant. He's still preparing his people. And if he wasn't, he would have come already. So it says, verse 12, at that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps. And I will punish the men who are complacent. The new King James says it like this. I will search Jerusalem with my lamp and punish the men who are settled. There's that word again. Who are settled in complacency, 
who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. In other words, what they're saying is, is he's not doing anything anymore. He doesn't heal anymore. You ever heard that garbage? He doesn't prophet. He doesn't, there's no prophecy anymore. The apostles took care of it all. So we can just sit on our butts and do nothing and have theological debates. So we can build followings on Instagram and, and build ministries off of just being critical of other ministries. So you got these people that are like, God doesn't move anymore. I was blown away. I'm like, how, how could you be mad about what happened at Asbury? There was no one preaching that you would know. And when they did preach, you didn't hear about that. Like, it's sweet students on a cajon and a guitar. Does it sound good? How could you get mad? They're worshiping the Lord. What are you mad about? How many YouTube videos? Here's my opinion. Be quiet with your opinion. Who cares about your opinion? No one cares. Literally no one. But I got influence, so I got to tell people what I think. Just shut your mouth because be silent before the Lord. He's coming with his lamps in the city. And the complacent ones are the ones who got an opinion about everything but do nothing. Right? They, they, they just, they're just watching. They don't go. They don't get in the room. They don't experience it. But this is not theological. Gosh. Never mind. Anyway. Their goods will be plundered. Their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, though they build churches, though they build ministries, that's my, I would add that in my translation, but we don't add to the scripture, so it says houses. They shall not inhabit them. They will plant vineyards. It'll look pretty, but there'll be no wine in them. So then you go to verse three, and it gets happier or I'm sorry, chapter three. Go to verse nine, chapter three. It says, verse nine, for at that time, I will change. Say, I will change. So, so you, it's like in the book of Ezekiel, in the beginning, Ezekiel's an angry man. And he's yelling, get a new heart. When you get toward the end of Ezekiel, the language changes from get a new heart to God's gonna give you a new heart. Because you can only go so far. And the, and the hour that we're in is you're like consecration. Um, the best you can do is bend your knee. God says, I'll take it from here. He's gonna come and he's gonna consecrate a people for himself. So it goes on and it says, I will change their speech to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and they will minister. Some says serve, but that word is minister. They will minister to him in one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, which means dark or black, like beyond the darkness of what they're in, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones shall bring my offering. So I'm gonna come in, I'm gonna search with my lamp for those who are complacent and those who are not. And here's what I'm gonna find while I'm searching. I'm gonna find those who bring me offerings and who do not. I'm gonna find those, and I'm not talking about your money. We already took the offering. So just get, I don't have a motive here. When I say offering, I mean your life. I mean everything about your life. The desire, the hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of God, right? That, that holy indignation that is saying, I am not okay with what's happening. And he's saying, I'm finding my worshipers in the midst of the dark. That's why he needs his lamp because it's a dark world. And Jerusalem represents the church. I think the church in many ways is just as dark. So he's coming in the midst of the rivers of darkness and he's finding those who are singing songs to him. It's the same narrative, and we don't turn there, just write down Ezekiel 8 and 9. You guys have heard me talk about this a lot, which was a revelation God really gave us during kind of the outpouring. And the narrative is in, in Ezekiel chapter 8, 25 men are standing in the right place at the right time. They attended that week. 
they were in between the porch and the altar, which if you look at the tabernacle, they were between the outer court and the holy place. They were standing in the middle. They were standing in the place of intercession, but they were facing the wrong way. They were facing the sun, S-U-N, and they were worshiping idols. And the Lord gets upset because they're not facing the right way. And so then you get to chapter nine of Ezekiel and the Lord says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go through Jerusalem. There it is again. I want you to go through the church. I want you to go through my people and I want you to find those who have a groan in their heart. And, and I want you to mark them on the forehead. Those that are disturbed. Those that are at this place, like the old ladies that are coming up to me in Chicago saying, we need rain. We need more. We are done with the system. See, I think I'm impressed by that because what I love, Gen Z, we don't know anything. I mean, I'm not Gen Z. I'm older. But young people, we don't, there's, there's not a lot to work out. They're just, they're just ready. You get someone saved, that's a youth, they're just in, they're all in. They don't know anything else. They don't know religion. They weren't born in, in all of these times where all of these false doctrines and all this garbage was in, infiltrating the church. They just know we want the fire of God and they're all in. What impresses me is when you have someone who's been stuck in the system, when you have somebody who's been stuck in the darkness and stuck in the, the traditions of religion and is going crazy wanting to break out, the Lord says, I'm coming with my lantern and I'm gonna look for them and I'm gonna pull them out and I'm gonna call them my worshipers because they've been giving the offerings in the dark when no one's watching. They've been giving the offerings when, see, and I'm not encouraging you to like go into churches and be rebellious. Here's where it's gonna start is you honor and you love and you are a seed inside of the culture. But then when no one's watching, you're doing something that probably no one's doing. Singing songs to God in the darkness and he's gonna come to you with his lamp and say, come on, you got that mark on your forehead. Come on, come on. You got that groan in your heart. You're disgusted over what you see. Come on, get out of here. I'm taking you with me. I, I, uh, when I was thinking on this, again, this is not really a message. I just am kind of, when I was thinking on this, I was uh, thinking about my, Emily and I, our SUV. I'm so happy Emily is back too in this room. It's been a while, been a while. My amazing wife. Um, so our SUV, one day I was driving and, and uh, I booted it, Right? I pushed the gas to the floor. But I didn't just do it to have fun. I did it because, you know, you turn and, and you, you don't really, you don't see and there's someone coming up fast. And when I hit the gas to the floor, this little thing popped up that said limited power because your engine is like the, the transmission was too hot. Like this little thing came up and I'm like, and it wasn't a very old, ve- it's not an old vehicle. So I was confused, but like the normal turbo thing that kicks in and it works, wasn't working. And so I didn't really understand, so I called Handy Dandy Tanner. I said, Pastor Tanner, I don't know what I'm doing, but my car is about to explode. He said, your car is not going to explode. It's just overheating. You need some coolant. Maybe you're low on coolant. I'm like, well, I just got this car. How am I low on coolant? Right? The Lord gave me something shiny, and it got low on coolant. I want you to hear something here, right? And it's leaking. I didn't know it was leaking. I could smell it, but I couldn't find the leak. And so I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get this thing working. I need to go fast. There's got places to be, people to see, and it's not working. And there's no power behind the vehicle anymore because it's burning out, because it's leaking. And I knew the cost of fixing the leak, but I didn't want to pay the cost of fixing the leak because I didn't have the money to pay the cost to fix the leak. So I let it leak for a while. And I would go to the, you could ask Emily, we'd be like out. I'd be like, don't want to freak out. And I'd be praying over the hood, don't burn on fire. <laughs> Called Pastor Tanner every time. I'm afraid. And he would direct me which coolant to get. Is it blue or yellow? I don't understand why there's different colors. <laughs> and what happens if you mix the colors? Does the thing explode? I don't get cars at all. I just like them. So I go and and I got to keep filling this thing up. My kids are sweating in the car because nothing's working in the car because the car is about to explode. So I finally got to this point where I'm like, I got to pay the price. 
I gotta pay the cost because I'm gonna be a bad father if I leave my wife and kids in a car that's about to explode while I'm traveling. So I went and I had to pay the price. Thank God it was under warranty. Jesus is good to me. But I didn't know that. I just thought that I had to pay the price, but I didn't realize there was a sacrifice already prepared for me. I didn't realize there was already something that had already been paid that I didn't realize. If I would have just taken the time to get off my butt, drive to Plano where the dealership was, not be so lazy, I could have got it fixed in a day. But I built this thing up in my mind and I was leaking. I think Christians are leaky. We're leaking. We wonder why there's no power behind what we're doing. We, we wonder why there's no glory, why there's no healing, why there's no anointing, because you're leaking. And you don't want to pay the price to fix the leak, which is your life. And then when you get there, you realize, wait, I don't have to hang on the tree. I don't have to feel the holes in my hands. I actually get to do it as if it happened to me. And all I got to do is lay on the floor at an altar. Are you kidding me? You were under warranty. <laughs> but I was thinking, like, we all do this. We do this in our normal lives. Like, we, you just keep duct taping it. <laughs> the bumper is broken over and over again. Super glue only works for so long, it's going to fall off again. But this is what we do we put band aids on ourselves. Sunday morning, so we got our Band-Aid. We got pastors handing out Neosporin. We don't want it to hurt too bad. We want it to be, we want it to be soft and gentle, and we don't actually want to fix you. We don't want to actually like stop the bleeding. We just want to put a Band-Aid, a temporary Band-Aid on it so you keep coming back. Don't worry, we'll do it fast so you, so you don't have to feel the pain, and I think we need to start feeling the pain. I, I think we need to start feeling it. I think we need to start leaving rooms disrupted because religion for too long said, just be happy and comfortable. And the pastor's sweet. He doesn't yell. He has 17 bullet points and they're gentle. It's, it, it, uh, I'm not against points preaching. Honestly, I wish I could so I can actually teach some things, but I don't have the mental capacity for it. So this is what you get, you know? I, I, but I'm, 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 I don't, I'm not against any pastors. God bless them. But for 750 years, the same stuff. And even the ones that are 100 years old are like, I'm sick of the same stuff. And we need some, like, we need this to, to come out of our mouths again. I repent. Remember, remember that? Remember repentance? Well, I am callous in my heart. That's all you can do. You just have to be willing to pay the price to be honest. To pay the price to come to God and say, my heart feels callous. I, and then he comes and he says, just break up your fallow ground. I'll rain the righteousness down. I'll bring the rain. Just make sure the ground is prepared. You have to get in touch with the fact that maybe something's broken. If we're being honest, I, I think that the system of the church is it's broken. If it wasn't broken, the dead would be raised. If it wasn't broken, people wouldn't ever leave discouraged still. They wouldn't ever leave depressed. They wouldn't ever, I mean, if Jesus was here, I mean, listen, it says in Acts 19, that Paul would just send handkerchiefs. He's building tents, sweating. He wipes his sweat and sends it to grandma. She gets up. It said that they would try to, to get clothing that was just on his body. Gross. And it worked. Take his shirt off and throw it at a sick person. Healed. This is the early, this is a New Testament church. Pieces of clothing are carrying the anointing of God's presence. What? This is why my, my, dad, my uncle's jacket worked. It just works. Anyway. We need some disruption to take place. In Acts 17, they, they find a synagogue in Thessalonica that belong to the Jews, and the Jews are jealous of them, it says. 
in Acts 17, jealous, afraid. So they bring them out in front of all the authorities and here's the words they say. I pray that they say this about us. These are those that are flipping the world upside down. Acts 17, just read it in your own time. These are they that are flipping the whole system upside down. Let's beat them. What do they say about us? Not much, we're pretty irrelevant. Just kind of part of the, one of the mountains within the seven. Jesus didn't start a mountain, a part of seven mountains. Jesus is building his mountain that all other mountains will bow their heads to. Every other ounce of culture will come and submit under the mountain of the Lord. But we need some good old fashioned like Acts 2 preaching that cuts us to the heart. And the response comes out of thousands of people that says, what must we do? And now we, we balance this line because people are like, man, I, I don't have to do anything. I'm just gonna, like, even, even while I'm content in all things, I heard that this week, I, I wanna be content. Why do I gotta reach after God? Like, we need to study our Bibles. Contentment doesn't mean sit around and do nothing. Contentment means that in it, Paul, the context is Paul is saying, whether I'm hungry or I'm fed, whether I'm clothed or I'm naked. Here's whether my life sucks or it doesn't suck, whether there's trial that's promised or there's not trial, I have learned in all things to be content. When you click on that word in the Strong's, it's I have learned to be self-sufficient in his sufficiency alone. It's actually the opposite. It's what can drive you. It's the grace that drives you to go, I'm gonna run faster than everybody else. I'm gonna respond quicker than everybody else. I'm gonna pray for more people than everybody else. Why? Because I'm content. It's this, of course, we have to sit and receive. I was studying the word Selah, for example, last night. Anyone ever heard that word Selah? In Psalms where they would, they would be playing, a, it would be a Psalm being written or sung and then they would just say Selah. It's been interpreted as, as quiet meditation, wrong interpretation. Meditation is there, but the implication is it's a musical term. The word selah is a musical term that would happen when the lyrics stop. It actually means the suspension of music. It's when the lyrics would stop, they would go off script. And they would begin to magnify God on their instruments based on what they just sang. And, and, and erupt, praise would begin to erupt. So it was like they're playing and they're worshiping and you would hear maybe David go, Selah, and they would all just play and the band would go crazy and people would start erupting in praise and it was this meditation on, look at what we're singing, wow. And they begin to erupt with glory to the Lord. But again, we've been pottered to be like, Selah's like, but that's not what it means. It means keep it going. It means let this extend on beyond words. Let this be more than lyrics. Let this be more than song. Let it erupt something out of us that praise just begins to erupt. The root literally means to exalt up. So the concern that I'm seeing, and I know I've, I know I've said it, I know I've talked about it, but we've become okay with not having revival. So that when one actually breaks out, the masses are running to it and what the declaration is, is it's not happening anywhere else. Because we have a wrong idea. I mean, I, I, people say that it's not in the Bible, but it is. It's in Acts chapter three when it says times of refreshing will come to the Lord. That word refreshing, if you click on it again, we gotta study the Bible. If we click on the word refreshing, the meaning, the Greek word is revival that he's bringing times of revival by the presence of the Lord. And so we gotta get a right definition that Christ is in us. We've been given all things pertaining to life and to godliness. There's an eruption in my being called the glory of the Lord, called they may be one in us, even as you and I are one, and we've read it so much, we don't believe it, but when we get a revelation of what's actually going on in the side of our hearts, we're not gonna need to go anywhere to experience anything. We're gonna become the encounter. We're gonna come the experience. People are gonna come into rooms and say, what is it? It's called his worshipers. Nations are turning their head because of worshipers. I don't know how many of you, I, I told our team in the back, fascinated 
by like Tucker Carlson, Fox News. He wants to go and film what's happening at Asbury. Amazed at what's happening. Anyone ever, anyone read that? He, he wanted to go and put, bring his cameras because he was so amazed, curious what's happening. They said, please don't come. I was so convicted by that. I'd be like, yeah, bring the camera, put it right here, and I'm going to tell the whole world to repent. <laughs> give me a Grammy. Just give me something so we can stand up and just smash it in front of everybody. Anyway, it's a story for another day. Just sick of fear. I'm sick of Christians not willing to be Christians, leaking, not willing to pay the price to stand up and say something. I just encourage them. You need to be disrupted in your daily life. You need to drive home on your way to lunch and be more excited about that thing that's shaking inside of you than your hamburger. I'll admit it. Like there's sometimes while I'm preaching, I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking about what I'm gonna eat after and I feel joy hit my heart. And I think to myself, Lord, I'm leaking. It's fine. Some of you are hungry. We say here, just bring lunch. Just bring lunch boxes or something. They would, all of our team would disagree. Do not do that. People are breaking out apples while I'm preaching. I just am like, I, I'm coming home and I'm like, you know, I just, prayer rooms. Can we talk about prayer rooms for a second? We had this move of God. Half, 80% of our church is coming at six in the morning. Now, I know we have them every day, but if we're not careful, we're just going to get into the routine of we have a prayer room. Well, what is a prayer room if people don't come and pray? Right? So that, that thing, I feel like the Lord this morning just wants to like shock us in the heart again. And, and that callous thing, like let's not keep going in the circle of needing to break it up again and needing to break it up again. I feel this so intensely from the Lord of I'm coming with my lantern and I'm looking for those who are complacent and I'm looking for those who can't stop burning. I just, I, I, I know that this is strong, but I keep hearing this thing. It's hunting season for the complacent. That, if you feel condemned, immediately right now, allow that to be turned into conviction. And here's all you have to do. Bend the knee and say, Lord, awaken my heart. He takes it from there. It's as easy as that. I'm not trying to condemn you. We are trying to awaken something in our hearts that is saying, for too long, I'm just okay getting by without the fires of God in my life. Bill Johnson says, I wanna just read you a couple of quotes. He says, sometimes the greatest deterrent to revival is our satisfaction without it. Dissatisfaction is a holy gift. Our satisfaction in the absence of revival is what prohibits revival. When we're just okay and we aren't seeing a move of God, it's that very thing that prohibits revival. It's that I'm actually okay with it. Sometimes the absence of the manifest presence of the King of glory, my satisfaction in those moments may be the very thing that propels him away. In moments where we should be experiencing God and we're not, and we have language like the Lord is here and, and we just say Christianese things, it's those very acts of lies, those very acts of pretending with our emotions that God is present, but the spirit of God and the kingdom of God, it says, doesn't come with talk, but in the demonstration of his spirit and his power. It has to have an effect that actually transforms us, that actually brings healing. I don't wanna just talk about it anymore. Okay, really, uh, where do I wanna go? Go to James 5, really, really quick. Can I have the, the band come back? So where does it begin? How do we start? I, I don't wanna just like, I, I watch so many and a lot just try to mimic. I'm not being critical, but just a lot of mimicking what happened at Asbury. Just mimicking. There's a lot of, we do a lot of mimicking in our world and our culture today. 
I want a genuine move of God, and I don't want it to last for three months. I want it to last for 50 years until it hits William and Ellie and Benjamin. Those are my children, by the way, and Bethany on the way. I, I, want, I want houses of revival to where it's always causing ruckus in a city because there's nothing about these people, there's nothing about them that are just okay with normalcy. They, they affect and, and disrupt every environment they go into. Like if the world is not in a way disturbed by what's happening here, are we really impacting the world? And we've just got to, we're in this moment where I, I'm telling you, you can feel it in the air. Anyone know what I'm talking about? You can feel this thing in the air where you are watching God beginning to break out. And I just, I want to be a part of it. How many of you just want to be a part of it? I, I don't, I just, even if we're in the back row, I just want to be a part of it. I'm not talking about any specific location, but what I'm saying is, is I am watching something take place that is not coming through fame. It's not coming through influence. It's not coming through an Instagram post. It's coming through hungry people that no one knows. It's coming through mundane people. If anything, Asbury should have lit people on fire going, wait, I don't need influence to see a move of God where I am. All I got to do is worship and have this thing in me that says I'm not turning it off. I'm so grieved in my spirit. I, I, and again, I know that I knew kids eventually, they got to go to class. They got to, this is why we've got to learn the right revelation of revival. Good song. This is why we've got we've to understand it right so that it doesn't end. So in a way, I knew it would have to, at some point, there'd have to be a change. But when I read that on Friday, the leadership said, we're no longer holding service. I felt this aching hit my heart of this is the constant story that I'm so sick of. Genuine move of God, genuine consecration rooms before worship teams would come on stage. They'd have to go through the consecration room. Just remember, it's not about them. And universities breaking out, student-led, the fathers and the mothers. I, I really honor the leadership. They're saying, just go, just do it. We don't need to be, just go, just do it. Like someone posted the, 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 the chapel that lit this thing on fire. I was like, seriously? No offense to that preacher, no offense, but like it, it wasn't, there was nothing exciting about it. What happened was, is the people said, we're gonna keep going. We want more and no leader told them they had to. And God is beginning to awaken something. And I'm fearful that we're just coming into rooms and we're attending prayer rooms and we're checking the list off of our week. But the Lord is saying, I am looking for my hungry and I'm hunting the complacent because there's no more time to waste. If he showed up right now, would you have reserves in your oil? Would there be oil in history with God or would you be saying, please give me some? If I'm gonna be a good pastor and I'm gonna be a good leader, I'm begging you, have your oil ready. So how does it begin? Where does it start? Second Chronicles 7.14, just write this down. I'm gonna get to James 5, just write it down. You know, well, if my people who are called by my name, humble. Everyone say humble. Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Listen, I want you to see this. What happens with the people of God determines what happens in the land. What happens, uh, Psalms, 40, Psalms 82, read on your own time says, do you not know that the earth is off balance? that it's off course because man is out of order. Sheesh. You were given dominion. You were given, we were given dominion over the earth in the beginning. And the Lord says, I am going to, whatever happens with my people will affect the land and the earth. So we've got to look around us and go, is all of this, is there something wrong? I'm going to start with me. If I can look around and see something wrong, I'm going to start with me. And God, if, I'm, if I need to come in, become absolutely aware of my need and humble myself. And I'm telling you, there's no greater power than bending the knee before God, not holding political rallies, but knee, be, bending your knee before God. And I promise governments will start to change because he says the land was affected by their lack of prayer. James five, you guys there, it says in verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise 
him up. So again, this is you co-labor with God. It's the prayer of faith. God says, I will raise them, but I need you to lay hands on them. And if it And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power at its working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it may not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. This is just a dude like us. It's what it says. A guy just like you and I prayed that it wouldn't rain and the heavens were shut up for three and a half years. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. How many of you remember it says, what you bind, heaven will bind. What you loose, heaven will loose. I would love to take a tally of how many people actually believe that. Do you realize the power? Oh, you're raising your hand. I love it. Do you realize the power that is at work in you? But there's a requirement. You have to open your mouth. You got to lay your hands on the sick. You've got to actually do something. Get off of our lazy butts because we're leaking and there's no power. And pay the price which is your life, unless you deny yourself and pick up the cross and follow after him, you can't be his disciple. Unless you, listen, give, forsake all the scriptures say you are not worthy to follow him. And no one preaches like this. No one talks like this because it doesn't grow churches. Get over the growing of churches. You didn't start it anyways. He did. Let him be the barometer of who comes and who doesn't. Just say what he tells you to say and do what he tells you to do and he will do it and he will reign and he will heal the sick. Just stop being afraid. A man's prayer life affected the earth. Prayer life. This is why prayer rooms, it's more important than just going and we're getting, we're soaking. Fine with soaking. Getting my receiving fill for the day before I got to go and deal with my horrible boss. We come into that chapel to shake up the ground. We come into the chapel and God goes, are these, listen, it's what we just read it in Zephaniah. I will leave a remnant that are humble and lowly among them. Are these the humble ones that are bending their knee before me and asking me to come? Cause I'll, hear, I'll heal the land. So here's, here's how we can determine if we're doing it right. Is the land being healed? Are governments taking notice? This is why Asbury, it's real. Governments are turning their head and, and, and what they're turning their head to is a guitar and a call. Just worship. This is what we've been saying. Just worship God and that nations will come and look for the sound. They'll gather to it according to Acts 2. We've literally seen that now in our day. And, and, and now, while it's raining, ask for rain. While it's happening, say, we want more. Don't just be like, oh, it's happening. And then you just go on with your life. There's no more time to go on with your life. I can't tell you, I've never felt like this in my entire life. I, I, just, I, I, I just wanna go everywhere and I wanna tell everyone how much God loves them. And honestly, one of the hardest things, one of the hardest things is not being in this room. I, I have to be honest with you, I come in and I'm like, does it always sound like this? Like, like, are they, is it always, are you guys always this incredible when we worship? But, but it's worth the price of, of saying, we've gotta go to this city. We've gotta go to this state. We've gotta awaken the church because every move of God we actually see in the Bible looks like this. Every single one. And people are cut to the heart and rooms are shaking. People are afraid. People were scared of the apostles. They feared them because their clothes were healing people. They're fighting to get in Peter's shadow. It's the last time someone fought to get in your shadow. Because our shadow doesn't mean anything to the world. But it's time that it does. And here's where it's gonna start. Humble ourselves, seek his face and pray and don't shrink back. Well, it's here now. Uh, No, it's not. I want more. I just, I think Asbury was like just a little taste of, a little outpouring to say, you want it? 
or are you gonna just settle in what was? Now we're gonna talk about Asbury for the next 53 years. This is, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Like we, and then everyone's just gonna look like Asbury and try to worship for 58 hours. People are just exhausted because we're trying to work it in the flesh. We need a move of God where God takes over and he can do whatever he wants to do. And you know what? If I go home and, and I leave church, it's gonna land on my kids. And, and if I have to wake up and be responsible and drive them to school, it's gonna be in my car. And then when I drop them off, it's gonna hit the person that's receiving my little children. And, and when I go to the store, someone that's sick is gonna go, oh my gosh, I had stomach pain and it's gone. And, and we're actually gonna start using our mouths for the reason we were given it, like talking to people about the Lord and, and actually walking in power and it becoming a part of our lives where you walk by someone and they say, I don't know why I feel a conviction of my sin. I'm tired of reading about Smith Wigglesworth. I'm tired of reading about John G. Lake. I'm tired about talking about Evan Roberts. I don't wanna talk about it anymore. I want to see it. I mean, the guy's sitting in a train cabin. People can't even walk by without their sin being exposed to them. What is happening here? Evan Roberts, it started like this. He stood up in front of a crowd and he started screaming, God, bend me. Bend me, God. Bawling his eyes out in front of thousands of people. Just bend me, Lord. And in two years, 100,000 people get saved. And everyone starts shouting, bend us, God, bend us, God, bend us, God, and break up our traditions and our fallow ground and all this stuff and all the walls. If, I'm gonna, if I don't yell, I'm gonna yell. If I don't dance, I'm gonna, whatever I gotta do, God, this is what was in their heart. They were cut to the heart. What must we do? Just tell us what to do and we'll do it. Religion told us that you don't have to do anything. Just you're, you don't be uncomfortable. You have to lose your life. You have to. All right, last thing. Don't, don't turn there. Jeremiah 2 and 3, which we've talked about a lot. Chapter 2 of Jeremiah, the Lord's coming to priests. And he's coming to his people and he's dealing with priests and fathers. Okay, so in our day, that would be pastors and dads. Right? I think that the, the biggest issue in the earth, which is fatherlessness, is also the biggest issue in the church, fatherlessness. Okay, so he's dealing with pastors and with, and, with pa- and with dads, shepherds and fathers. And in chapter two, he says, no longer are the shepherds, we've heard it a lot, no longer are the shepherds and the fathers asking, where am I? They're no longer longing for proximity to me. They're no longer uh, fascinated by me simply being close. And he said, so he, he judged them and he left them. And, and then they turned to him and it says, but they turned to him in pretense, which is, it's not supported by something real. It's just talk. It's close to him with your mouth, but far from him in your heart. And, and because of their pretense, it says that what they pursued, listen, their pursuit became their, their life. And it says that the land suffered that he, he, he cursed the land because of their wrong pursuit. Then you get to chapter three and he says, but I will give you shepherds and I will give you fathers after my own heart who are asking again, where is God? And he says, in that day, you won't even remember the Ark of the Covenant. You're not gonna have to even think about Asbury. You're not gonna have to think about where God came here and where God came here and where God came here. He says, I'm gonna turn the whole nation into the throne. That's what we're after. But it starts with people again going, Lord, where are you? And how can we get closer to you? God, get us in touch with our need. When Evan Roberts is praying, God, bend us. You know what, you know what that definition comes from is worship. There's nowhere in the scriptures that really tells us what the real definition of worship is. What the scriptures give us is a posture. Hear what I'm saying? There's nowhere in scripture that says worship is this. Worship is singing songs. Worship is sacrificing this. Worship is praying. There's nowhere in scripture to say that. It gives us a posture in how we approach God in any situation, God says that's worship. If you look it up, it means to bend down. It means to stoop down and getting in touch with your need for God again. And I would tell you, and, I, and it starts with me. But this past three weeks, what God has like been poking at is 
you know, you, I want the most exciting part of my life to be when I'm alone with God. And if I'm being really honest with myself, sometimes I deal with boredom there and I don't want to anymore. If I'm being really honest with myself, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of satisfied with sometimes just checking it off my list. And, and when I go to bed at night, my heart is not shaking the way it needs to for getting up and being with God. And I think right now in the whole church across America, but let's start here, is we need this, Lord, we repent. We repent for the callousness of heart. Thank you for how you've been coming. And, and I've been watching, I asked the Lord two weeks ago during the Super Bowl, I said, Lord, make that the most powerful Sunday they've ever had. My sister texted me during worship, said, you're not needed. Always can count on Michelle. I said, praise the Lord. And I believe that something's been building. There's been a new measure of freedom that, I mean, I walked in this morning, I felt it. There's just been a measure of freedom. I feel like that came when I left. And I'm so happy about that. And, and so maybe I just need to keep going to cities and the Lord will keep showing up so that it never becomes about me and it never becomes about some name, whatever. But, but I'm, I'm going, I think something's building and it's high time to seek the Lord. We don't, I, I, didn't, I don't wanna come with something deep today. I wanted that cut to the heart, what must we do kind of moment. So come on, stand to your feet. Thank you again for joining us for this podcast. We pray that above all, your life was touched by his presence. If you're interested in learning more about the church or getting plugged in, you can visit us at www.risennation.org or follow us on social media to stay up to date with all that God is doing here. We love you guys. God bless.